Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. I want to welcome uh, to the microphone my friend of uh, 40 plus years, John Anche Jock. Very good. Thanks, Joel. <laughs> good to be here. Thank you. All right. Let's tell the story. Let's start from the beginning. You, when, where were you born? What hospital? Uh, St. Vincent's. St. <laughs> Vincent's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how far back we go. No, I, no, I met you in high school. Um, you, you went to St. John's, right? Oh uh, no, I'm St. Stan's. You're St. Stan's. That's right. Twelfth and Wallace, baby. Wow. And then Mercyhurst Prep was where we met. That's where we met, Mercyhurst. Correct. And you were one of the founders of the Medieval Arts Club. I was, yes. I like wearing, you know, tights. Men in tights, yes. Um, yeah, uh, you and our friend Emery uh, uh, and uh, a couple other guys. What? Uh, it was a way to get into the yearbook. He, that was that was the that whole, was the main goal. That was the mission. Yes. Of the medieval arts club. They let clubs take a club picture, so we started a club specifically to get into. So the yearbook. smart. That's so smart. Um, yeah, it, there is some foreshadowing from from that because, uh, uh, you know, I think kids that become engineers, they, they think of things differently, right? I mean, think, well, you kind That's of think mechanically. Yes. What's that? That's what they tell us. Yes. <laughs> right. They, they want to imprint that nerdiness upon you, but you're not a nerd. Well, I can be. I can be nerd-like. <laughs> and uh, you went to Gannon after Mercer's Prep. yeah. World famous engineering school. Talk about your experience there, because sure, I loved it. Uh, yeah. So the options, you know, pretty much you go to Penn State, you go to uh, Gannon, and what I liked about the Gannon experience or opportunity is very small class size. It still is a boutique engineering school, as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we had a total of 130 graduation class, wow. all disciplines. So it's a much smaller, a lot more hands-on. Uh, Do you remember teachers? in your cohort, were there more electrical engineers or were there more mechanical engineers? I was close to an even split, as I recall. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah I was mechanical, so right. hard you, to say. Do you, did you have to take a speech class? Like, what? What, what does you mean by that? No. Well, no, what common core classes did you have to like? Well, it's Gannon, so you had to take all your philosophy and right. religion classes, yeah. right? You had to yeah. take your English, poetry, right, and you still had to get your... 130 credit hours in for engineering mm. so that required taking a lot of summer classes oh did you really you, just to you, keep you it down to a reasonable going. roar wow yeah you know once you start getting over 15 credits that becomes problematic i want to say that we were we were we went to college back in the 80s yeah um before college got kind of expensive i mean you have kids that went to college yeah four of them yeah yeah uh, it's a different scenario now that's what i recall uh, i was lucky enough to have i mean we went to private out. we went to private school and it was yeah. reasonable it was reasonable they also helped us out financially quite a bit yeah yeah that's yeah yeah i got i got pell grants and things like yeah that we got a then. ton of help yeah yeah so, couldn't have done it without the help let's put it that way Talk about um, your internship, or did you do like a 
co-op while you were still in school? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so that's another nice thing about Gannon. They were big on trying to get you out into the your senior year at least or your junior senior summer as an internship, and I lucked into uh, getting one at Autoclave Engineers. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that worked out great. Uh, good hands-on experience. They kept me on through the school year, my senior year, and then that was my first job out of school. Was it really? Yeah. What were you What were you working on? Did you immediately go into kind of design? Or? No, that's, that's Autoclave's credit to them. They understand that if you graduate with an engineering degree, you basically don't know squat. <laughs> All right. Uh, so they put me in an 18-month program where I uh, tagged along with their service crew. So basically we'd go on service calls to repair broken equipment or to install brand new equipment. So I got to see the stuff in real life and how it's being used and abused before I was put behind a desk in the design department. Tell me the difference between like what Autoclave was designing and, you know, Amsco, American Sterilizer. Yep. I mean, it's very, it's very similar, right? Or not really? So Autoclave is going to be high pressure stuff. Okay. I mean, their low pressure valves are 10,000 PSI. Uh, and they go up to 150,000. Uh, For what uses, John? Uh, material forming, like uh, you take uh, powdered metal and you put it in a sack and then you pressurize that around it, squeeze it into a soft uh, formed material that you can't do by melting the metal. So and interesting. Then, then you uh, put that in another furnace, heat it up to 1500 Fahrenheit, pressurize it and get the yield and it makes it a monolithic block. Pretty cool. That is and then wow. Water jet cutting. Everyone's heard of water yeah, jet cutting. Yeah. So they make the valves and fittings to allow you to go to the high pressures you need to get the cutting going. And uh, chemical reactors. Are they? Do you know if they're still around? They're definitely still around. They've moved from where I was working. They were still on Peninsula Drive. Yeah. On the viaduct. Mm -hmm. And now they're up above I ninety. It always fascinates They've me been when bought I bought a couple times, right? Since then too. But it's fascinating the kinds of activities that we do in Erie that have these universal uses. Like you're saying, oh, oh yeah, yeah, if you want to do water, water cutting. Erie, Pennsylvania, is uh, one of the world leaders in high pressure equipment. There's HIP, there's Autoclave, there's several companies that all spun off wow. and do their own little specialized gig. And, and what's cool about that for me as a history buff is all that started when, you know, with the steam steam boilers that we were doing in the 1800s. Yeah. Like we were the steam boiler capital Gosh, of the world, I think right? they were stamp number one or number two. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Wow. Pretty pretty crazy stuff. All right. So, so was that your second job, AMSCO, then? Yes. And yeah. so you went to a little bit less pressure. Yeah. They're... If they're 100 PSI, they're doing really good. So it's usually 15 to 30, 45 PSI. So their their definition of an autoclave is for sterilization. Correct. Tell me how that works. Sure. Uh, they're using usually steam. Yeah. Uh, and don't think wet. Think it's pretty dry. So you want that nice steam will penetrate. Mm -hmm. Things like uh, hospital gowns, you know, cloth goes through it, sterilizes it, kills things dead, dead, dead. Uh, yeah. And they were all using gas. You know, so some of these gases. had to be pretty big if you're putting hospital gowns in. And you could drive, some of these you could drive uh, 
a forklift into. Seriously. Industrial size. And I worked in the industrial section, not the hospital section. Okay. Okay. So it was all wow. large amount, like uh, contact lenses. Let's do pallets and pallets of contact lenses at once. Really? Sure. you got to be sterile, right? Sure. Don't want to stick them in your eyes. So they're already packaged. Yeah. So they've been manufactured, packaged. You put them, and you, then you autoclave, steam you steam yeah. them to, to sterilize them. Correct. That is fascinating. It was fun. So the problem was, then you open the door, right? <laughs> right. Let the germs in. Let the germs in. <laughs> Right. And that didn't work for a lot of applications, so they started putting what the commonly called a glove box okay. onto the end of the sterilizer. So it's a contained space where you're working on it through rubber gloves, uh, and you're keeping a sterile environment, in theory. Okay. And that led to my third job. Which was? Uh, so I got laid off from... Amsco in 92. Wow. You know, and then... That's uh, 30 years ago, buddy. I know. <laughs> wow. And unfortunately, it doesn't take that long to apply everywhere in Erie County that might hire a mechanical engineer. So at that point, I knew I had to move. And then this company out in Colorado was looking for engineers who had experiences with glove boxes. And I knew how to spell glove box. <laughs> and, Spelling is the first the first impact. Yes. Wow. Yes. And By the way, one word, glove box. Glove box. One word. I didn't know that. See? Yeah. It's not in your car. <laughs> right. It's not where you put your maps. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so would you say that your, your education and your early work experience at manufacturing in Erie was like... Fundamental. Was it was it fundamental? Was it almost a slam dunk? Did it was it a what is it an edge to other applicants for this gig in Colorado? Would you say? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the problem with going it was, who hired me out there was a company called Merrick. Yeah, and they're an engineering and architectural firm. That's all they do. They don't make anything. They just have design. Okay, so they produce paper and then someone else builds it. Okay, so like a like a like a jobber like a. Like a, so they're like the shop. big engineers on a project that's being handled for the Department of Energy. They produce a drawing package, and then yeah. someone else builds it. Okay. So what was difficult for them to find is people who've actually touched this stuff. And that's where the Erie background really helped. You know, both AMSCO and Autoclay were really big on having their engineers go touch the equipment. Is that unusual in, in your career now? It's tough I mean, to not find your career. It, it's tough to find people that actually touch the thing. Yeah. Like they I said, you graduate it. from college, you don't touch anything in college. You're working yeah. on paper, you're doing the theory, but try to design a hydraulic circuit. They're not going to teach you that in mechanical engineering. They're going to teach you how to do the stress calculations and the thermal analysis and the flow analysis. They're not going to teach you how to put accumulators together and what type of relief valves and so, so, so you uniquely, kind of unique, yeah, yeah, kind of got this hands-on thing as a designer. But you know what? I'm able to see the design come to life uh, in my own hands, or even if even if somebody else was assembling it, right. you were able to operate it. And the other thing that was nice about both those gigs at Amsco and Autoclave is the shop people had no problem laughing at you if you screwed up. <laughs> right. 
Of course. I mean, you're all in the same the building. Yeah, exactly. So if you goof yeah. up, they're going to come tell you and make sure you know about it. <laughs> As opposed to if you're at a company like Merrick and you're just shipping off paper, Yes. you may or may never know if you mm. screwed up. You're going to find out, oh, you made a really big mistake. They're right. going to let you know. The calculation. But little right. stuff like you couldn't get that screw in that little tight space that you drew on the computer. You know, in real life, you couldn't do that, dude. Yes. You didn't leave clearance for my socket head uh, cap screw to fit in right. Stuff like that where you could, it looks good on paper, but in real life, you can't put it together. Interesting. You may or may not ever hear about it. So it was good having guys who felt perfectly comfortable making fun of me. Well, I, I, I feel like the story here, as, as we get started with John, uh, is the, is the, um, you know, start in Erie can you can make it anywhere. Oh yeah, come on, you've done it. Yeah, this uh, design company out of Colorado. Yeah, was looking for somebody that maybe has a little bit beyond the beyond the scope of just design of of CAD design. To hey, he's actually touched these things. He actually knows how to make stuff, and and especially with this glove box, all one word. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And so did, did Merrick just design a bunch of glove boxes for different applications? or They got their start working at, like, Los Alamos uh, in oh. nuclear. Okay. Wow. So nuclear glove boxes for uh, dry boxes, if you will call them, too. Uh, so keeping the stuff away from the humans. Yeah. And they wanted to branch out into pharmaceutical glove boxes, which is slightly different. So right. it's uh, non-radioactive stuff. But it could be really nasty stuff. So, and you kind of had that experience with the AMSCO, where you exactly. were dealing in the hospital world, right? So um, I at least knew some of the standards, yeah, like, new stainless steel, uh, things that would be very helpful to someone doing a glove box for the first time. So in did pharmaceuticals. you did you work your way up the ranks at at? Uh, yeah, they hired American? me as a mid-range engineer, mm -hmm. and when I left, I was the vice president of engineering. At that wow. Company. So, what? Okay, so I always fascinated by the idea of here you have somebody that is um, has these skill sets, you know, of actually making stuff or designing stuff. But then, you know, isn't there this Peter principle of of elevating people? Well, that's why you get to be VP of engineering. <laughs> <laughs> you know, be, be, but I mean, why do I guess I'm, I'm I, you know. You were managing teams at that point. When yeah. did you build that skill set of the people skill set? I'd like to think that was the Boy Scouts of America. Tell me more. I'm an Eagle Scout, too. So they try to train you how to be an, a leader. Absolutely. It's kind of the program base. And you culminate in your Eagle Project, which is basically a management job. You're not supposed to be doing the work. You're supposed to be convincing other people to do the work you want them to do so that started it right and that's then, fascinating though honestly well it, it's kind of works and yeah and all these companies i've been at luckily for me have invested heavily in their management training staff right so, so they, as you kind of were going up the the ranks in merrick uh, they were they were giving you some leadership skills, some on yes. some continuous education, Absolutely. and so on. Absolutely, and they're not stupid. They're going to yeah. start you out slow, you know. So you start as 
you run this segment of this glove box line. You're the lead yeah. engineer. And you, so you have these small teams that you've got to right. like exactly. be an influencer on this team. And it's a low risk to them if you really don't know what you're doing. How lost can you get on that one right. little section before someone can come in and help you? Right. Yeah. And they were also big believers in letting people have that rope with guidance, stay sure. inside the guardrails, but yeah. you know, uh, but you, but you, you've spent your you spent your career around un- other engineers. You understand that not every engineer is cut out for oh, like absolutely. great leap interpersonal relationships. Some are horrible managers, <laughs> right? Right. But you are a great manager. It sounds like. Well, thank you. But I mean, I mean, I think I did okay. Yeah, right. I think I did okay. What, what do you? What was surprising about that for you? Uh, there, there's. The hardest part about that is transitioning from the worker bee engineer to the manager engineer. There comes a point where you got to let go, right? Let somebody fail if they need to. And you can't be the guy doing everything. Even if you could do it better, faster, cheaper, you got to have the next guy learn how to do it. And that can be a little frustrating sometimes, especially if you have a budget you're trying to manage and this guy's floundering. You can guide, you can learn, but ultimately he's got to learn how to do it, or she. Have Have you encountered intergenerational conflict in management, especially when you're at Merrick? Don't tell me. I mean, don't, yeah. you're an owner now. It's a different thing. Yes, but much back, smaller group. But back in back in those days, uh, how did the generations mix on on a man, on a engineering team like you were dealing with? Okay, so I've been out of it since 2016. All right. Okay, which isn't that, that long, long ago. ago. Yeah. It wasn't as bad as people make it out to be. In the engineering field, I think there's something about getting that degree. Uh, Gives you gravitas, even as a young one? I think so. I mean, I, I, or I was just really lucky. Hard to say. You had some good people. We had really good people. So uh, uh, praise to the HR department. Yes. Yes. Interesting. John, hold that thought. We, we've got to go to break again. We're we'll at the bottom hour break. We're learning a lot about how someone, an eerie kid, is able to make national, international impact. And uh, I think it's appropriate as, as we're talking about homecoming here uh, this week. And, uh, you know, uh, a gentleman here uh, growing up on the east side. 12, uh, what would you say, 16 years of Catholic education? Oh, uh, yeah, 12 wasn't it, enough. Uh, <laughs> I think the bishop would love to hear about that. John on Jaychok, he is uh, a owner of a, of a company that, uh, well, uh, ex- let's, let's start with that. Um, w- you are currently, the what, the president of uh, Process or co-owner? Co-owner. I have a partner. So we're yeah. 50-50 partners. Uh, of the name of the company? Pressure Safety Inspectors. Pressure Safety Inspectors. And your primary um, your primary industry? Cannabis. So 2014, state of Colorado legalized recreational marijuana. And that has all kinds of implications. Uh, most people, you've heard of gummies, right? So... We specialize in ex- the extracted product. We don't deal with leaf. We don't do the stuff you smoke. We do right. strictly the oil. So, uh, so the 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 idea of this extraction of cannabis oil 
And you also work in the CBD world too. The it same kind right. of thing. Cannabis is H- cannabis. hemp oil. Yeah, um, uh, that is, can be a difficult process and 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 almost deadly, is my understanding. Oh yeah, you die. Uh, so <laughs> so the most common way to get the plant material out, or you can use almost anything. You can use water. If right. you got time and money, you can use water. You make tea, right? And just extract the and oil just wait, from there. And it, yeah. But that isn't very fast. So to go fast, they like to use uh, butanes and propanes, liquid petroleum gases. Uh, but unlike your barbecue, you can't put the scent in it. So it's pure butanes and propanes, no smell, heavier than air, and flammable. So if you have a leak, you won't see it, you won't smell it, and it'll go across your floor till it finds an ignition source. And that's how you hear about people blowing themselves up in hotel rooms and stuff. They, they'll open blast. They think they're fine until they're not. Wow. So And so you, you come in with systems and controls that can detect and stop any leaks. Is that my understanding? We have two major markets. One are the people doing the extraction. So you would hire us to come in before you build out your building, and we will give you, here's the list of requirements that your extraction room needs to have. So, and the most important things for flammables would be uh, ventilation to make sure you're sweeping the floor towards a hazardous exhaust that can safely take that away and out of the building before it builds up to an explosive level. You need to have a gas detector because you're never going to see it. So to tell you, hey, there's gas in that room, don't be stupid. And uh, fire suppression, something does go wrong. Like automatic? Automatic fire suppression, yeah, yeah, for LPG. Yeah. Pretty much just putting out the parts at that point. If you got that far, you had an explosion. Mm-hmm. You ever, you ever like, let your uh, butane grill or propane grill yeah. fill up before it lights and it goes yeah. poof? Yeah. So That's what we're talking about. They're poof fires. Yeah, wow. Uh, more than burning constantly. All right, let's, let's so this is what you're doing now. And, yeah. And literally... Um, you're 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 providing both. Are are you providing instructions? Or are you also selling equipment? We do not. We're okay. strictly third party consultants. Your consultants, and um, you started working on this in 2016, correct? Well, 2014. 2014. So when when Colorado went legal, the point would be, they were smart enough to have in their legislation a requirement for a professional engineer to review the facility before you're allowed to get a permit. Because okay. they, they knew people were blowing themselves up in California and other places. That so it, they were trying to do the law the right way. Correct. So they yeah. put that stipulation in, you shall have a mechanical, or not mechanical, a professional a, engineer, a P, yeah, look at your facility, stamp it off, and say everything's golden. Yeah. Which is great. And my neighbor at the time happened to be one of the first facility people in the state and he was looking for a professional engineer which i happen to be yeah so he said hey john can you help me out and i said i'll get back to you so i went to merrick and they said we can't touch this 90 percent of our work is federal it's gonna raise too many eyebrows we don't want to do this at all and i said can i do it on the side and they <laughs> said don't be stupid and don't use our stuff but sure 
Okay. So, so you 2014, got my partner and wow. I started. He was doing it full time. I was doing it moonlighting, if you will. Sure. And in 2016, it got to be too big. I had to quit. So I quit Merrick and went full time. Wow. And here we are. Six years later. Yeah. Talk about the scope of the need because I think people maybe don't understand how much uh, extraction from from these uh, plant products is happening in North America. It's it's really common. If you're going to have a recreational or medical, uh, the holy grail is to have like a Budweiser of weed, right? Yeah. You want to be able to go buy that weed and get the same buzz every time. So you're not like in a coma one time and you can't even feel it the next time yeah yeah. so if you're smoking it it's difficult to dose it correct okay yeah so if you get it extracted now you can run analysis on your oil you know exactly what you have in there and now you can dose it into the edibles or into your vape pen or into your patches yeah uh in a way that you can get a reliable repeatable dose so okay. it takes that one thing out of the equation. It also doesn't go bad as fast. I see. So like right now, the market's flooded with leaf. It's just too, too you And know, it has a much. shelf life. It literally right. has a shelf life. It's going to go bad. Mm-hmm. So I've heard. So yeah. you can extract the oil out of it, and now mm-hmm. you can save it or at least stockpile it with a little bit more shelf life as well. And so, so everyone's is, doing it. Everybody's doing it. And yeah. so the, the, your, the calls to you to certify these these uh, extraction plants it's I, constant it's, it's constant yeah and that, we do like i said cannabis is cannabis so that includes hemp and marijuana right so it doesn't matter which one like medical is going to be almost all hemp you know is that right okay the cbd they don't care yes. about the thc right, as right. much right 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 yes so. um and uh it, when you first started you were saying that uh, there, there was a lot of, like, well, fly-by-night scenarios. Absolutely. So when they wrote the code, they said, you shall have a professional engineer look at that facility, but they didn't get into a lot of detail of what you should be looking at. Mm-hmm. So Chris and I, my partner, uh, had the advantage over some of our competition. We've been working with deadly materials for 20-plus years. Right. So we had a pretty good idea of how to write a hazard analysis. We had a pretty good idea of how to do a code basis uh, doctrine. Mm-hmm. So we, we had really good go-bys. We've been doing this for a living, mostly for radio pharmaceuticals and radioactive materials, potent hazard materials. So we had a, we knew how to write a report, which was good. Let me let me let me de, uh, uh, let me translate that when we talk about like a radio pharmaceutical it's similar to what you might take uh as an injection to kind of find out your heart function exactly or uh what you might uh take uh for thyroid uh cancer or something like exactly. that exactly right? radio okay. pharmaceutical that's exactly yeah. right okay so when it gets to the human dose it's pretty you could put it in a body without killing them right when you're making that it's really radioactively hot and so, uh, hence in, the glove boxes or you, this is how you got to figure all this stuff out. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Wow. So it's just such. It's such. I mean, it's so amazing to me, though, John, to go from to go from steam autoclaving hospital gowns to dealing with radioactive um, elements that you know 
one one false move, you bad. got trouble. Yeah. Hence the safety studies. So they, you do a really good safety analysis. So we had that drilled into us. So we got good at it. Yeah. Is that? Do you feel like that's the part of your you know, your brain really kicks in your left brain as far as I'm I'm going to follow these steps to the T. You know, click off all the boxes. You know, you. I'm yeah. sure you've encountered people that are just not the attention to detail leaves something to be desired. Yes, and, and, and I also have encountered people who know how to write a standard operating procedure that no one will ever follow. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. So wow, it's one thing to write a good safety plan; it's another thing to write a plan that's robust that people can actually follow mm. because everyone's going to take a shortcut if you can yeah. right right so you got to anticipate that and try to make it part of your plan why make it hard on them if you don't have to gotcha make it something they can live with and they're more likely to use it in real life talk about the prospects for your business as you maybe the next 36 to 60 months well as states come online with uh, recreational is usually when we get involved. So right now, Pennsylvania is a big state yeah, for really us. Florida's really that. busy. Uh, Michigan's really busy. I didn't know Florida was getting into they're, this. They have medical for yeah. sure, but they're starting to come up. So as they okay. come up, the local fire marshals start to figure out, aha, something's up, and that's when we start getting involved. Interesting. And again, you're dealing. You're writing, you're writing uh, code at the very highest level of best practice here, right? You're writing, Correct. You're writing the book. We literally are writing the book. So there's yeah. two major fire codes in the United States, the National Fire Protection Association, NFPA. NFPA 1, mostly the East Coast uses that. Mm -hmm. And then the other one's the International Fire Code, IFC. Mostly the rest of the country uses that. But we helped write both chapters dedicated to extraction industry so interesting chapters 39 and 38 uh, respectively of the two codes and then we're also on because who says engineers don't have a sense of humor nfpa has a new standard being developed as we speak we're on that committee as well and that's called the 420 committee oh, so it'll be <laughs> nfpa 420 oh my word which will get a lot more into the more than just the fire code aspect. Okay. You know. Uh, again, we're going to hear more about this kind of work as, uh, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's happening. It's happening. Whether, whether or not an individual state adopts these things, it's going throughout. The, well, Chris the, and I can't smoke. You, or we, we, right. We can't do it. Right, right, exactly. So. <laughs> I, I, I want to I pivot here because uh, we've got about six minutes left okay. in. And um, when you think about the foundation that you got in Erie, and then you, 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 you've come back about probably once a year or so, right? Oh, yeah. My mother still lives here. Yeah. So I come back. I try to get back at least twice a year. Twice a year. What, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, you live in a pretty Tony area of the Denver metro. I mean, I mean you know, you're living pretty large. Um, talk about Erie and, and what are your thoughts about it and – you know, uh, are you hopeful for Erie? Do you see some good things happening as you come back? Okay. So 
I mean, I've been be gone, honest. I've yeah. been gone for 30 years. Yes. All right? I left yeah. in 93, essentially. Okay, yeah. So 30 years gone. I'm coming back every twice a year, pretty regular, religiously. Mm-hmm. And it was, at first, pretty darn depressing. Every time I came, well, look at AMSCO. AMSCO's gone uh, completely. Yeah. Uh, every time I come back, a lot of places I used to know people who worked there no longer are here. Uh, you guys seem to finally be filling in some of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. look around you here. You know, a lot of building going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little encouraged. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, 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 what I'm getting, I guess, what I'm getting at is this concept that when you think about the foundation that I mean, you got a solid foundation absolutely. at Autoclave and Amsco and and what you were working Gannon, on at Gannon, Mercyhurst, right? Um, and um, and it comes with that heritage. That manufacture, and it's not. It, we, I mean, we had foundries years ago, but really, we were advanced manufacturing, top of the line. Like you said, the uh, the the steam engines and the and you know the high pressure valves and and all of these things that are used around the world. Zern, you know how you know how many how many uh, airport re- uh, restrooms have you been in, and they have a Zern drain. <laughs> you Come always on. look for the Zern drain. In the, Everybody who's from Erie looks. They, we do exactly. Uh, you know how do you hang on to that that manufacturing pride? Boy, if I knew that, I'd be running for office, wouldn't I? Yeah. I don't know, man. It, and it goes back also to that hands-on experience, you know? When's the last time you changed oil in your car? Something as simple as I that. Wouldn't, I wouldn't even dare it. Right. And I did it all the time in the so, 80s. And but we got to face that as a reality, is that that is not something that's common anymore. Mm-hmm. So how do you build up that hands-on ability? How do you build up what I was lucky enough to have gone through? Yeah. You know, it's not easy. Uh and how many companies can afford to put their new hire engineer through an 18-month, I'll call it internship? Right. right. Yeah. It's not that readily available to people. What about the attractiveness? I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, now you had 500 engineers when you were at Merrick, but they were spread out around the world, right? I mean, yeah. We had 14 offices around. But at, at your office in Colorado, how many, uh, like, what's the, like, were people coming from all over the country to go? To Colorado to work at Merrick? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it was an the attractive nice thing about place. Colorado, people will take a cut and pay to live there. There, That's something, saying something. You know, I... Yeah. That's the bad news about it, too, so... Yeah. But, yeah, people like to go to Colorado. That's the worst places to be. Mm-hmm. It, I, I feel like the secret sauce is in making this place... A desirable place where, where advanced technology, and and that high tech draw, could bring young people in. One, yeah. a couple more questions. Sure. Dealing with young people, dealing with younger generations. I'm sure even even in some of these extraction plants that you're going to, you, you're dealing with millennials and so on, right? I mean. Oh yeah. Um, thoughts. I mean, are you able to are you able to handle it okay with the young guys? I I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, most come on, no one wants to deliberately kill themselves. You know, right? In a production, so they're facility. really they're really looking. They just for, don't to know. You. They're ignorant. So they want you to to yeah. teach them. Yes, and they're willing to learn. Yeah, uh, but they don't know. 
and a lot of them come from the gray markets where like look at california they decriminalized in 96 so they've been doing this there for a long time but under the radar yeah so we come in there and say yeah that's you're doing it, but that's not the legal way to do it per yeah. code. The, the shag carpet is yeah. not a good thing in the right. shop. <laughs> and you probably shouldn't be smoking that while you're doing it oh either. Oh, my gosh. You know, yeah. uh, so it, but they they do want to learn. They yeah. don't want to die. Right. They're not stupid. So yes. they, they will listen, but sometimes it's depressing to them. Like, oh, crap. So I have all this, I have this whole thing built out, and now you're telling me I need ventilation. I didn't even think about ventilation. Like, wow. That's why you talk to us before you build it out. Sure, sure, sure. You know? Wow. Are you having to do most of these uh, conversations yourself, or do you have teams that go out now f- from your firm? We have two guys who do nothing but travel. Okay. They, they travel and inspect. Yeah. That's all they do seven or five days a week wow. all over the country. Wow. And then we got the team back at the home office. That's me. We go through what they gather and uh, do the analysis. You, you made this. You made this move in your career, kind of later. You know, some guys, like you said, you weren't ready to retire at, right. in 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 uh, twenty sixteen. But uh, um, but you were getting up there. I mean, you were fifty four years old or so, and yeah, that's right. Good so, guess. Yeah, well, because we're the same exact age. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you you could you can ride this pony for a while, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I love it. It's, it's fun. I mean, it's one of those things that is kind of like a capstone to your career. I think so, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's making a difference that's going to outlive me, but that's for sure, you know. I, 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 think, I think it's so honorable that your work, that all of your knowledge, that all of your best practice, the success that you've had through your career – is really saving lives today, and that's super important. We like to think so, yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.